Marriage, as defined, is that great agreement by which a man and a woman have become husband and wife. It is the state of or relationship between a man and a woman who have become husband and wife. Marriage is a relationship that originated with God. It was not something in that great bond, in that great union that man had come up with, but it was something that was appointed or ordained by the God of heaven. And contrary to what the world and all the world's philosophies would tell us, it was always intended to be one man with one woman, and that that bond would be uh, in this life and for life. But very sadly, I am told that one out of every three marriages today end in divorce. Think about all those many others, though, that never make it to the divorce courts, and yet they live their life in their marriage relationship completely unhappy. And when we look at that, we can see that these are the marriages that God did not want. The marriage relationship is the closest of all human relationships. As we read for your hearing a moment ago in the book of Genesis, the second chapter, and in verse number 24, where it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In this marriage relationship, God intended for it to be happy. But the problem is, far too many people fail to follow God's plan and His principles that are set forth in His Word. And because of that, they coexist together in nothing but a chaotic mess. Very sadly today, homes are destroyed because Jesus is not there. The fast deterioration of the home has been recognized by both religious and non-religious people as well. But you know, the very most beautiful picture in all the world to me is a mother working happily in her home with her children nearby and teaching them God's Word. But the saddest picture of our day, though, is what very sadly is prominent all around us, and that's the crumbling of the home's foundation as it goes back and dates back and traces back very sadly to the marriage that it began with. Instead of entering into the marriage relationship using the Bible as a guide, many will enter the marriage on a trial and error basis. After all, we'll go and we'll extend uh, all manner of promises to the other one. We will stand there and give our vows. We will tell in front in the presence of God and all that are there that we're going to be together forever. And yet in the back of our minds we are thinking, but if it doesn't work out, we'll just get out of it and we'll start again with another. Very sadly, that's what the world does. Promises are broken and homes are destroyed. But what I wish to discuss with you for a little while this morning is the Bible pattern for a happy marriage and a godly home. First of all, we understand and we all know this, that men and women, contrary to what the world would tell us, men and women are not equal. But very interesting though, when we look in God's Word, we find that there is nothing that says that men and women are to do the same thing, are to have the same role. In fact, we find that there are two stations or two spheres of activity. We find in God's Word there is the station of headship. 
but also when there is the station of headship, there must of necessity be the station of subject, subjection or those two people could not exist together in unity. And so what God has instructed or God has appointed is that men and women have different roles. But nowhere in God's word does it say because man has been given the, the uh, idea or the subject of headship or the authoritative role in the home. Nowhere does it say that a man is more important than a woman. Also, nowhere does it say in God's word that man is better than a woman. And listen... Because his role is different, it doesn't mean that he's more important than she is. You know, I think sometimes we forget that the woman has a role that is so necessary, it is so needed, and without the woman fulfilling her role to its uh, completeness, the home and the structure of the home cannot exist as God would have it to be. But notice the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 22, where the Apostle Paul says that the man is to be the head. Paul said, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You know what's very interesting here? The Apostle Paul, by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying that the woman is to be in subjection to her husband in the home. Now, understand this. It doesn't say men and women. It says husbands and wives. My wife is to be in subjection to me as her husband, as the Apostle Paul clearly stated. But you know, I don't think anything written in God's Word is in there to take up space. I don't think there are any coincidences in God's Word. Did you ever stop to consider? Because that's what most of us do. What we want to do as men, we want to read how we're the authoritative role. We want to read verses of Scripture to our wives and indicate to them that they are to be in subjection to us but we fail to read the very next sentence that the great Apostle Paul stated in the book of Ephesians in that text. I don't think this is a coincidence because right after Paul said that the woman is to be in subjection to the man, then Paul said, husbands, love your wives. How so? Paul said, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The question today isn't whether man is to be the head. The question is, how is he to lead? How is the man going to perform his authoritative responsibilities in the home? Well, Paul said it like this. Paul said that the husband is going to lead his family. He's going to lead his wife. He's going to be the authority in that home as Jesus Christ is the church. Now I'll tell you something. If you look at what Jesus has done for the church, then we must also understand that you and I as husbands are failing miserably. Because when we look and understand how it was that Jesus Christ leads today and how he is our leader and we are his bride as the church, 
When we understand how much he loved the church, which is his bride, then we must also understand it is not as a tyrant. No, he is leading as he has lived. It is an authority of performance. It is one of example, and it is one of sacrifice. You ever stop to consider all that Jesus did for the church? Jesus is the head because of what he has done for her and continues to do as our great high priest making intercession for all those that are members of the body of Christ. The church is not in subjection to Jesus because of chastisement, but because of what he has done and continues to do for it. The headship of Jesus Christ is a headship of selfishness, is not one of selfishness. Because nothing that Jesus Christ did for the church was for his own benefit. And when husbands consider their wives like Jesus Christ considered the church, I'm going to tell you something. I, don't, I have never met a woman, and I mean any woman in the world in my entire life, that if you would sit down and talk about the concepts of authority and subjection, if you would go and map out how it is that the husband is going to lead his family like Jesus Christ leads the church, I don't know one woman that I've ever met in my entire life that's going to have a problem being in subjection to that kind of leadership. Who in the world would not want that? To have leadership and headship that is that of sacrifice, is that of performance, and that of example. You know, very sadly today, folks, and I, I speak to the men, you know, I understand that the woman has a job to do in being in subjection. We're going to get to that too because we're going to talk to them in just a moment. But I'll tell you something. There are too many wives today and families today and children today that are not what they ought to be because you and I as men are not what we ought to be either. It begins with us. We need to understand that the authoritative role in leading our families begins with the man. We need to rise up as men in our households and lead our families. And we need to do so with performance, with sacrifice, and by the example of our lives. That's how we need to lead. And you just watch and see. You just watch and see your wife and your children following you. What a wonderful existence it becomes, but it begins with you. Secondly, though, Paul said he is to love his wife. How so? The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And so he is to love his wife as he loves his own body and must treat her just like that. Someone said one time, if you want your wife to be an angel, tell her that she is. If you want her to be good looking, tell her she is good looking. You see, she will show the outward likeness of her inner image. He said, if you don't believe me, just tell her that she's ugly. And see that she doesn't live up to it. That's what we do. That's really what we do. We, uh, we actually, with the way that we are, we manifest what we feel inside. If we feel rotten inside, chances are we're going to be rotten on the outside. 
But if we are those that feel good inside, and we feel loved inside, if we feel like we are being led as we should be led because of someone that loves you that much in your home, you wait and see how lovely you become when you manifest that example. Sometimes, though, before we get married, fellas, you remember this. The people that we are trying to marry or we're trying to win the heart of, man, we're performing. Before the marriage, we're performing. Every day is a performance. We're putting our very best for, uh, foot forward. You know why? We want to win her love. We want to win her affection. We want her to choose us to spend the rest of their lives with. But very sadly, though, we get married and they get the rest of us. They get really what we really are because we were performing at one time. But now this is the reality. They get the rest. Oftentimes a man compliments and praises her before the marriage. But after the wedding, he takes her for granted. Anyone that's ever been married understands this. This is not using wisdom. But just remember, he is to love his wife. A story was once told of a woman on their wedding night that said to her husband, she said, let me ask you something. I know that we've just walked down the aisle today, but I got to ask you, do you really love me? Do you really love me deep down inside your heart? He said, yeah, I love you. But if I ever change my mind, you'll be the first to know. You know what the problem with that is? Love does not have a timetable. Love is something that we do and feel all the days that we live. We're going to notice in just a moment, by the way, how it's not just how you feel emotionally at the moment. We're going to get to that. Very interesting. But notice this. Sometimes we need to understand, though, that the way we treat one another is a byproduct or an extension of how we truly feel for them. More on that also in just a moment. Let's just do this. Let me just say this before we move on. Let's not be like the fella that disregarded his wife's desire to have flowers all of their married life. And then all of a sudden, hey, as long as you do it one time, it's better late than never. Let's not be like that fella where the flowers came at the funeral. Let's be those that live our lives and direct our families in such a way that when we're all through, we can say, I'm glad that I did, rather than I wish I had. But next also, let's talk about some principles for the wife. The Apostle Paul, writing to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verses 3 through 5, he tells us that she is to love her husband. Notice what Paul said. He said, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Notice what the older women, and listen, I say this with all the respect in the world about our older women. I'm not saying this in any negative way. I'm saying this in a positive way. When I talk about the aged women, I'm not talking about the fact that they no longer have a duty or responsibility. Oh no, to the contrary. I'm saying that they do have a responsibility. And listen, we need you. The Lord's church needs you. But you know, this kind of goes by the wayside. This doesn't happen much. Instruction from the older women to the younger women sometimes goes 
without being done. And, but there is a tremendous need. Paul says, not false teachers, not given to much wine. That's the example. They become teachers of good things. That they might teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know, uh, husbands need to hear things too. You know, that might just get me kicked straight out of the guys club forever. But that's all right. I'm going to tell you something. We might act like it's not true, but we need to hear it too. We need to hear how you feel about us. There's no way that we can be the men that we need to be without the proper women in our life. There's no way. You know, there's an old saying in the common vernacular that behind every good man is a good woman. That's not just words. That's a fact. And I'm going to tell you something. Women, if you want your husbands to be more than they are, you get behind them. You support them. You tell them. You build them up. You strengthen them. Because I'm going to tell you something. A man is only half as good as he will ever become if you are not in his corner. Husbands, though, be the men you need to be so that she feels that you deserve such encouragement. You know, a, a woman one time went to a marriage counselor and he said, what's the problem in your marriage? She said, I'll tell you what the problem is. I can't seem to get it across to my husband that I love him. In fact, regardless of all that I do, he doesn't believe or feel that I love him. In fact, in fact, all of our arguments stem from that very fact, from that very thing. She said, well, why do you, he said, why do you suppose that is? And she says, oh, I don't know. I, I guess he's just a moron. And then he said, well, what does, she, what does he say when you tell him that you love him? Oh, I could never tell him that. If I ever told him something like that, he'd probably just drop dead. Sometimes we need to look at the way that we treat one another in that capacity. Very quickly, the Apostle Paul dealt with the characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Now, here's my point. If these are characteristics that work for brothers and sisters in Christ together, it surely works for the greatest union and the greatest relationship that you will ever have in your life, and that is the marriage relationship or this great union. So notice the characteristics of love that the great apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, first of all, that love is long-suffering. Long-suffering is patient, long-tempered. And here's a good one, self-restraint. You might want to keep that one. You'll need that one. Self-restraint. That's what it means to have the love that the Bible describes. It's not just a moon, June, tune, spoon type of feeling. Oh, no. There's some effort that goes in and some practice that goes in to demonstrating the kind of love of the Bible. You need to have self-restraint. You need to be patient. Secondly, Paul said that love is kind. Kind means good, gracious, and pleasant. Thirdly, love is not envious. 
You know, this comes from the word that means jealousy. And you know, this is for the this could go for the man or the woman, either one. But jealousy is a horrible thing. Jealousy is something that will destroy relationships. But love, proper love and true love is not envious of these things. Many times wives and husbands as well are filled with jealousy, which is simply a lack of faith in their spouse, and it eats the very heart out of a marriage. Fourthly, love does not vaunt itself. The King James Version says, that just means it's not a boaster or a braggart. It's not puffed up. It's not conceited. Number five, Paul says, it does not behave itself unseemly. You know, by definition, you know what this means? You don't pout, and you don't fly off the handle, and you are not guilty of unseemly conduct. If you truly have the love of the Bible, then that's how you're going to demonstrate it. You're not going to pout. You're not going to fly off the handle. But number six, notice this. It is not selfish. It is not easily provoked and does not keep records of evil. We've all done that though. Remember what you did that time? Or somebody is forgiven of something. Um, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I, I forgive you, it's all done. But then as time goes on, see how you are? Remember that time? And you bring it up again. But the proper love of the Bible though does not keep track or keep records of evil. You know, we've talked about this with regards to any relationship that you will ever be in. If you keep track of evil, if you keep track of or a record of it, there's no way that you're going to feel and demonstrate your feeling for that person as you should. It makes no difference if you are brothers and sisters in Christ, if it is your child, if it is your spouse, if it is whoever in this world, if there is evil and it's been taken care of, leave it alone and cast it aside and don't ever bring it up again. That's what love is. Remember what you did that time. One scholar said, it's throwing the book at him or her. Think of what marriages would be if true love were demonstrated by both the husband and the wife as well. You've heard me say this though. There's a tremendous misunderstanding about the concept of falling in love. You, know, you can talk to somebody that's maybe found someone in their life that is not a Christian and they are establishing relationships with someone that's going in an opposite direction just as fast as they possibly can from the Lord's church. But the relationship is growing stronger and stronger and feelings are being cultivated and so on. And pretty soon you have this Christian boy or this Christian girl who is quote unquote in love with someone that is diametrically opposed to the way you live your life and the way that you know you ought to live as a Christian. Only to hear him say, but we're in love. Just fell in love. You might go to someone and say, well, what happened to your relationship over time? What happened? Well, we just fell out of love. Let me tell you something. Love is not something that's got you by the back of your neck, guiding you in ways it wants to take you. You don't just cruise right along and just fall right on in there, and then pretty soon one day you fall out. Oh, no. Love is a choice and an exercise of the mind. That is what love is. 
You know, love is like happiness. I know that there are things in this world that are not pleasant. There are things that are going on in the lives of some of our people here right now that are not pleasant. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't change the outcome of those things, but you can change how you're going to feel about it. That's what happiness is. Love's the same way. It's a choice. It's an exercise of the mind. You know, one person said one time that love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is very expensive. When you love, benefits accrue to another's account. Love is for you and not me. And lastly, love gives, it doesn't grab. That's what love is. You have to demonstrate that. You don't just sit back and wait to feel love. A newspaper man once told a story about how a wife came to him whose marriage was in shambles and said, I not only want to get rid of him, I not only want to divorce him, but I want to hurt him. I don't like him anymore, and I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to find a way that I can hurt him even more, and then I want to divorce him. So a friend says, I got it. Here's the greatest thing you can do. Spend the next two or three months and get his slippers for him every night. Make his meals. Tell him you love him. Make him believe that you feel all of that. And set him up, and when he least expected, divorce him. That'll get him. Two months went by, and this fellow saw her and says, Well, you ready for the divorce? She said, You know, I would never divorce that man all the days of my life because I have learned and figured out I guess I really do love him after all. You see, motion brought about emotion. When you set it in with willful deeds for the other, and you put that into motion, you put that into practice, then you're going to feel quite a bit differently. We would think, though, the opposite. We would think that I'm going to feel good about someone else if they're doing things for me, but not really. Try it sometime. Do something for another, and you will find the way that you feel about that person is going to change. If you do good things for that person, you're going to feel different about that person. Now, we're talking about the marriage relationship today, but let's do it this way. It's everything. If my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ or someone in the world has wronged me or offended me, and I don't feel very good about that, if I go out and do that which is good for that person I'm going to change how I feel about them. It works. One man said, The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise, but by repeated deeds. Let me just say this, especially to young people. A marriage that is based upon physical beauty alone will not last when the wrinkles come and the teeth fall out. It will not. If we choose someone because they are quote-unquote beautiful, if we choose someone that is the fair-haired boy, if we choose someone because he's the campus football star, I'm going to tell you something, that marriage is not going to last when the problems mount and his chest falls. Absolutely not. 
You can get someone that's the absolute most beautiful girl in all the school, but when she becomes the drudge of the kitchen sink, I'm going to tell you something, that kind of a marriage, that kind of a relationship is not going to last. It's going to take an exercise of the mind in order to do so. This exercise of the mind will not permit a husband or a wife to seek gratification outside of their bond. It will not permit divorce since each partner knows, how do they know, mental process, the will of God, and seeks the very best good for his or her mate. When ill besets your marriage partner, you will not seek a divorce, but you will care for one another through thick and thin. That's what you will do because it's an exercise of the mind and you chose to do that one time, you, a long time ago, and you cultivate that by daily decisions and daily deeds for the rest of your lives together. Very quickly, I know you've all heard this, but there's different ways to show love and affection to your spouse. You know, about 15 years ago, it would have been great if somebody would have sat down with me and told me all the rules. Would have been great if somebody would have told me some things that I know now that I didn't know then. But you know, as we know, and as you know, it's a a very common thing, commonly known thing, that we all have various love languages. And we need to love each other in our own love language. Tina and I are completely different. If I try to love Tina in my love language, it might be all great and and nice and all, but I am not fulfilling what she needs in that capacity because it's not in her language. Love languages are these, and there are five. There are words of affirmation, there's quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. This is how people need to have love expressed to them. I'll tell you something. Mine happens to be, my primary one happens to be, words of affirmation. And I'll tell you something, when I get it, when I get words of affirmation, I feel like I could do anything. I'm not kidding you. Like I can do absolutely anything. But when I don't get it, I'm as empty as I can be. You know, I used to think, I'm pretty good, I'm, I'm a pretty good catch for old Tina. I used to think that. You know why? Because I'd, I was giving her words of affirmation all the time. Physical touch. I wanted to hold her hand, put my arm around her. I might as well have been speaking Chinese because that's not her language. Hers happened to be, that I found out later on, hers happened to be quality time and acts of service. You know what I did, though, when I found out about this quality time thing? I said, well, I'm right here. I'm four feet from you. I'm here. We were watching a football game on TV. I thought that was it. Quality time. We're spending time together. I'm right there. No, quality time is when they have your undivided attention. And acts of service is doing something for them that they don't have to do now. And you thought enough about them that you were willing to do it for them. That is how certain people feel the greatest love of all. You know, we've gone through a program with some of you about this, and it's wonderful to see how people say it's changed their marriage, it's changed the way they look at things. And I'll tell you something, anytime that you get things out of sorts, step back and go back to those basic things and start giving, and then you will get. But thirdly, though, 
The woman is to do something that I know that is, is against the grain of, of the teaching in the world. But Paul said there's something else. Paul said that she is to honor her husband. In Ephesians 5 and 33, Paul said, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Notice Sarah honored Abraham by the way that she spoke to him and spoke about him. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 6, the Bible says, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. When a wife cuts down her husband, she is not showing honor to him. She also honors him, though, listen, by the way that she behaves in the presence of others. You know, you can be a wife and never say one bad word about your husband. You could speak to him with all of what seems to be the reverence in the world. And you can feel as though you are honoring him in every single way. But if you behave yourself unseemly, if you behave yourself in the presence of others, that others can see the way that you behave, and it's not what it ought to be, it dishonors your husband. You honor your husband by the way that you speak to him, speak about him, and, and about the way that you behave around others. And the wife is to do that. She is to honor her husband. A woman must love her husband, must honor him by her words and manner of life, and must be in subjection to him. Marriage problems today would be cured if Christian mates would love each other and consider God in their marriage. Let me just say this to you. Let me just say this to all those that are still searching for a mate or someday will search for a mate in this world. Let me just tell you. You find somebody and you look for the greatest quality. And that greatest quality is this. You get this first. Everything else can fall in. You get this first. You find someone that is willing to accept the role that God has instructed that person to have in the marriage relationship. You get that person first. Because I'll tell you something. If a person is not willing to do that, you are wasting your time. You are wasting your time if you are looking for someone that is not willing to follow in the role that God has instructed. But if one would do that, if one would love his wife, for example, as Christ loved the church, he will love her as his own body. He will dwell with her according to knowledge. Humanly speaking, she will be his deepest love. They would practice the our philosophy and not the my attitude. In conclusion this morning, this is all I have, but let me just say, one man said it this way, marriage is for life and must not be taken lightly. It takes work and the right attitude to make it a success. You must always choose that which is seeking after the same things that you are. You must always find a mate that will help you get to heaven. And never choose one that is not willing to fit the role that God has intended for him and or her to have. Because there's nothing in all the world that's as priceless as the couple who've been married for many years. Though they've had their rough times, they truly love one another in spite of disagreements, sickness, creeping old age, balding heads, expanding stomach lines, 
wrinkles, false teeth, and feeble steps. Because in the eyes of each other, they're more in love than the day that they wed. And they care for one another in sickness and in health. They see all of each other's faults, but they overlook them, seeking that which is the greatest and the best for their spouse. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an exercise of the mind. Strong churches are made up of families that are strong. You will never have a strong family unit in your home, fathers, without being the spiritual leader in your house. You will never have what you ought to be if the wife is not willing to be in subjection to such leadership and guide your children in the way that they should go. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.